Welcome to the Legacy Nashville Podcast. We are so grateful that you've taken the time out of your day or night to tune in. We pray that this message encourages you to love God, love people, and change the world. Now, let's get to the message. So I'm going to go to Psalm 24, and uh, we are going to read the fullness of Psalm 24. Are you guys okay with that? Awesome. What's up, Rebecca? How you doing, sis? It's good to see you guys. I'm so happy you guys are here. Welcome home. It's always good to have friends from out of town. Anybody else here from out of town visiting? Okay, it's just you. I love you. And you. You're the best. And you're amazing too. I can't wait to meet you guys. Let's stay in Psalm 24. Let's read it out loud all together as a family. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness there, hold on just a second. You mean to tell me that there is not a place on the earth that belongs to Satan? <laughs> you know, sometimes we think of missions as like, I've got to go to that demonic country and rip that nation out of the grip of Satan. But God says right here, he says it in Psalm chapter two as well. Ask of me and I will give you the nations as your inheritance, right? Nations are not given to warriors, they're given to sons. It's not about us wrestling nations out of the grip of Satan because God is already in charge of every nation that he's ever created and he always will be in charge of it. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world. And so now we're not just talking about created land masses, we're talking about created individuals. We're not just talking about places, we're talking about people groups. God says, I'm in charge of everything. Everything you see and everybody you'll ever see, I'm in charge of them. God's sovereignty. Verse two, for he has upon the seas and... Man, that's impressive. How many... Uh, how many things have you founded upon the seas or established upon the rivers? You read that, you're like, Job, you remember? God's like, tell me where you were when I put the planets in motion. That's right, you weren't there. Sit down, be humble. Verse three. No, so you're going to see a shift real quick. All right, I want you to watch this as a shift. Verse three. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place? It's almost like David's asking, where is God? Well, he's up a hill in a holy place. I wanted to title the message, On a Hill in a Holy Place, but it just didn't go that way this week. But I want you to recognize here in verse 1 and 2 what David is doing is he's painting a picture for us about how big, how great God is. So in verse 3, his question is completely appropriate. If that's how big God is, who could ever approach God? He's looking around. That's why this psalm is a messianic foreshadowing, because the answer to David's questions could only be, Jesus who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? You, see, you can see him looking around. And who shall stand in his holy place? Verse 4, come on, let's read it together. He who has and a who does not 
It is not. He's saying it's for people who don't lie. (laughs) It's for people who steward their tongues. You mean to tell me how I talk has something to do with my access to holy places? He will receive from and from the God of his. So what's the blessing that we get primarily in that place? Righteousness. It's not stuff, but it's holiness. He goes on, verse 6. Such is the of those who who seek the face of God of, who's Jacob? Jacob I love, but Esau I hate it. See, the generation of Jacob is the generation of those that know that they're loved, that have been chosen. Somebody say, I've been chosen. So this is about you. Verse 7. Now, you see, if we shifted once after verse 2, we're shifting again after verse 6. So we're now in the third portion of the song. Lift up your heads and be lifted up that the king of glory may come in. Now David's caught asking questions again. Who is this king of glory? Well, we know he's Jesus, but here's the revelation that David did have about that king. The Lord, the Lord, if God is anything, he's strong, he's mighty, and he's mighty in battle. Lift up your heads and lift them up that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? A little other tidbit of revelation about that king. He is the Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory. So one of the things I believe to be true about Psalm 24 is there's a revelation embedded within this passage of priestly protocol. The protocol of the priest. And so that's the title of the message today is priestly protocol. Lord, give us clean hands and a pure heart. We want to handle holy things rightly. So let us steward your word today with the right spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, and everyone said, look at your neighbor, say, you're a priest. You can be seated. Just read a scripture and just get stirred up. We don't need much more. Just read the Bible and get stirred up. My parents are here today. Just want to give a shout out to my folks. They came, in, they came in last night. I want to tell you guys how big of a stud my dad is. So we're both training for a marathon right now. Allison's training for a half marathon. Allison's training for a half marathon. Uh, my dad yesterday morning ran 14 miles in preparation for his marathon. He's doing his training. And then they got to Nashville last night, and I said, Dad, I'm sorry. I got to go for a run because I got to get my training in. He said, how much are you going to run? I said, I got seven miles. He said, I'm running with you. So, not quite 60 yet, but still putting me to shame on the runs. 
21 miles yesterday. We're going to get there, though. Isn't that cool? It's fun doing stuff with family. Amen? And it's fun coming to church, coming to the house of the Lord as a family. Amen? And so we come before this passage today as a family. Now, before I really dive deeper into some of the points that I've extracted from this passage, um, I want to share with you just kind of the prophetic elements of this message, all right? So uh, recently, I had an experience with uh, a well-known worship leader, and I'm not going to tell you who it is, and if you think you know who it is, you're probably thinking about the wrong person. So just just go ahead, and we're going to say that, all right? Because you're like, oh, he's probably, no. You don't know who it is. So recently, I was speaking with this well-known worship leader, and the discussion was really relaxed, really jovial, but I felt that it was necessary that I have a courageous conversation with them. And if you don't know what a courageous conversation is, it's kind of like a a brief, friendly confrontation. (laughs) So we call those courageous conversations. Now, I was not this person's pastor, but... They are a friend, and I love them very much. And unfortunately, I had been hearing some troubling stories about their behavior and some of the choices that they had made that I felt were a bit compromising. And I thought, you know, I need to have this courageous conversation with this person because they are leading thousands of people into worship every single weekend, and I'm concerned. And I love them. So I want to bring this up. And so when I shared my concerns, their response seemed to be more about optics than it was obedience. And that brought further concern because I thought, you can't be saying what I think I'm hearing. You're telling me that you care more about the opinion of people than you do the opinion of God. That's what you're telling me. Are you sure? And they went on to say something along the lines of like, yeah, I mean, as long as people are coming to our shows, then we're good. As long as people are streaming our music, then we're good. As long as people are watching our YouTube videos, then we're good. It doesn't really matter what I do aside from the stage because it's more about the optics than it is about the obedience. So I thought I would ask them a question. And I said, well, tell me, who do you want to be? Do you want to be a worship leader or do you want to be a worship artist? Because I see a difference in those two things. And what I was asking is, are you a priest or are you an entertainer? Are you a worshiper or are you an entertainer? Uh, Is there, you know, tell me, who do you want to be? And The question that they asked in response was, well, is there really a difference? And I was sad for two reasons. Number one, I was sad for my friend. Number two, I was sad because I felt that it was a clear articulation concerning where we are as a worship culture at this day and time in the church in America. Because, I mean, we're in Nashville. This is Music City. Did you know 90% of the world's Christian publication comes through this city? Right? I, I bet you there are people in the room right now, you're thinking, dude, I'm a worship artist. Where are you going with this? Don't worry. I'm not. 
I'm not, I'm not trying to be mean, all right? Like we're writing songs, the song we sang today, first song, we, we wrote that song, all right? It was, it was awesome, right? Come on, it was awesome, right? Yeah. yeah, 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 it was awesome. That was awesome, right? So we're writing songs, all right? Uh, but I, I, I feel like that the um, general direction of a lot of what we refer to as worship music in America right now is, is, is just a genre rather than priestly ministry unto him and unto them. And so when people have had a bad day, they say, you know, I think I'm going to turn on some gospel or some contemporary Christian music, or I'm going to listen to, uh, what's the radio station? The Fish? It is? The Fish. I hear it every now and then. Whatever it is. You know, I've had a bad week. I want to listen to some positive thought music. Right? And so we see that happening in our culture. And to me, I feel concerned by that as a pastor. And so I said to my friend, I said, I know you may not see much of a difference in being a worship leader and being an entertainer, but I got to tell you, there's a drastic difference because as an artist, the only standards that you live by are the standards that you create for yourself. But as a priest, as a worship leader, as a minister, you don't get to create your standards. You receive your standards from God through the Scripture. So you don't get to pick how you live. You get to receive protocol for how you live because priests live according to a protocol. In the Old Testament, anytime a priest was consecrated, the oil was poured out upon them and they were deemed a worship leader. They also received not only the anointing, but they received instructions. They received a protocol and God told them, this is how I want to be worshiped. You are not allowed to get inventive, which is incredible to me today how many churches we have springing up that are saying things like, well, we're going to reimagine church. Well, who gave you permission? I didn't know you were allowed to do that. I thought you kind of got your instructions from the Bible. We don't need to be more creative. We need to be more obedient. So when a priest was consecrated in the Old Testament, they had no authority to determine what kind of worship that they would bring to God at the temple. It was not on the basis of their feelings. It was on the basis of his commandment. This is how I want to receive my worship. We are priests now in the New Testament. You guys know that, right? We are, 1 Peter 2 and 9, but you are a chosen race. Everybody say generation. Because race and generation in Psalm 24 is the same word. It's not just about a time period. It's about a type of redeemed person, all right? And he says, you're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim, and that is through the preaching and the ministry of the word and song as priest, the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. So as priest of the New Testament, there's still protocol. Somebody say there's still protocol. It's, it's not that in the Old Testament worship was very serious. And in the New Testament worship is now unserious. <laughs> worship is still serious and there is still protocol. Could you imagine me telling my wife of 10 years, hey, I'm going to love you the way that I feel like loving you. I don't wait, what? 
So you don't care about how I want to receive love? You're just going to love me in the way you enjoy giving love? What do you think that's going to do for our connection? And yet, we oftentimes approach God in the same way, carelessly. No, there's no protocol. I'm just going to, you know, worship Him however I feel today. No, He has a way that He likes to be loved, and it's important that we understand that, that we discern that, and that we obey that. And I think one such passage that gets looked overlooked often concerning priestly protocol is Psalm 24. Now, uh, Psalm 24 is a very interesting psalm because we see it as a scripture, but David sang it as a song, all right? This is poetry. It's beautiful language. And according to the ancient text, the Talmud, the Jewish ancient text, Psalm 24 was actually one of the primary songs that was sang on Sundays for worship. So for years and years and years and years and years and years and years, and it's probably still going on. And years and years and years, if you went to church on a Sunday, the first song in the set list was Psalm 24. You didn't have to go to church wondering what song would they play today. You just knew Psalm 24 was what you were going to hear when church started. Can you imagine going to church every single Sunday of your life and hearing the exact same song open the worship? How many of you guys would just be like really upset about that? <laughs> I don't want to hear amazing grace again. You're going to hear it because the priest had discerned that Psalm 24 was a song that brought the people of God into right worship of God in such a way that they decided to make it the first song in the set list, priestly protocol. See, this refers to a sequence. They said, whenever we start, we're going to start with Psalm 24 because Psalm 24 gives us a protocol so that we can rightly approach God as priest. And we need to start by acknowledging that he is sovereign. He is big. I am small. He is holy. I am a sinner. And then we look around and say, well, who can approach him? I'll tell you who can approach him. Anybody that's willing to hold out their hands before God and say, you've got to clean my hands because I cannot clean them by myself. And even if I could, outwardly, through performance, I will not be able to wash my heart. I need you to clean my heart so that I can come before you with right motives and a right attitude. So then I can sing, he is the king of glory. You see what happens in that sequence? We come to a place where we have a revelation of victory. And as a Christian, we are not worshiping for victory. We are worshiping from victory. And when we come before the Lord rightly, we will have right revelation about who we are, who he is, what he's accomplished, and what he's going to do. We're not singing sad songs, moping around. We're saying, this guy, (laughs) the Messiah, Jesus Christ is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He is the Lord of hosts. He is the God of my salvation. He is the one, the only one who could make me righteous. And he leads me into victory because he is strong and he is mighty. And he is the Lord God that is mighty in battle. That's how Christian worships right there. That's how priests worship. Yeah, I know who I am. Who is this king of glory? Every ancient gate be opened up. Every ancient door swing open right now because king of glory is coming in. (laughs) Isn't that awesome? 
David was so struck whenever he put this together. It was when he bought the uh, property when he said, uh, I'm not going to offer up to the Lord that which cost me nothing. Uh, some say that's when he wrote the psalm. And then he wrote it not only for himself, but get this, he wrote it for his son. He wrote it for Solomon. And he said to Solomon, I want you to take this song that I have discerned blesses the heart of God. And I want it to be first protocol sequence. I want it to be the first song that is sang out loud as a congregation before God, whenever you dedicate the temple. That's Psalm 24. I mean, it's amazing. It's this messianic psalm referring to Jesus. And we see that David wrote it for his son, Solomon, but in a greater way, God wrote it for his son, Jesus. Who is this king of glory? They're looking. Every Sunday, attending temple. Who is this king of glory? Every Sunday. And then one Sunday, Jesus comes in. Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Hey, y'all know that guy? You've been singing about for thousands of years? I am him. King of glory. So I've been reading through this psalm and I'm realizing that there's a protocol. And I've been thinking about this quite a bit. And so I'm going to give you what I feel are some points from Psalm 24. Now, I'm not going to be able to get into all of them. I'm just going to talk to you a little bit about the first one. Is that okay? But I'm going to give you all the points. So number one is this. All attention first goes to God. If you want to practice priestly protocol, you're going to have to practice this first. All attention goes to God first. And that's in reference to Psalm 24, verse 1 and 2. The way the psalm starts is all attention goes to God first. The second point is this. We go to God on his terms. Not on my terms. God invites my feelings into worship. I'm not telling you that he needs you to be stoic when you worship him. He invites your feelings. He wants an intimate relationship. This is not religion. This is relationship. We're in communion with him, but we go to God on his terms. All right? So that's important for us to remember. Number three is this. Priests that honor protocol receive blessing. Receive blessing. Primarily, righteousness. You know, I've never seen anybody with bad character have big intimacy. Because the more intimacy that you have with God, the more refinement that takes place on your character. Because you're receiving that blessing from the Lord whenever you practice protocol and you approach Him rightly. And that blessing is righteousness. Number four, this is a prophetic point. I don't have time to unpack it, but a generation of priests shall arise. And I'm not saying that in some future sense, like, oh, one day, like it's some empty prophecy. I'm telling you, I believe that there is a hungry generation now of priests, of people who know I am loved, I am chosen. I will approach God rightly on his terms. I will open up the Bible. I will have a dedication, a consecration to the scripture and to the spirit. And I will practice the ways of God in the way that he has asked me to. I will be a part of that generation that seeks the face of God, the God of Jacob. I believe that. Do you believe that? Last point number five is priests that practice protocol carry a revelation of victory. They carry a revelation of victory. We're not defeated. We're not down. But we have hope. 
We know God is good. God has a great future prepared for his church, for his bride. We're, we're not defeated. We're not the tail. We are the head. We're not the victim. We're the victor. By the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimonies, we are overcomers. We are more than conquerors. See, you, when you worship rightly, you start believing those proclamations. They're not just statements of faith. I mean, they're part of your DNA, your spiritual DNA. You walk different. Right? I don't have no spirit of fear. I got power. I got love. I got a sound mind. I'm balanced in my mind. You see what I'm saying? Like, that's, that's what we're pursuing. Are you with me, church? So here's the thing about point one. That's where we're going to park today. We're just going to kind of, we're on a road trip. We're pulling over. It's a rest stop. And all we're getting out of the vending machine is point one. <laughs> all attention goes to God First, now let me go back to that conversation that I was having with my friend. And I want you to know, as I talk about this, I am not throwing stones over the wall at the industry. That's not what I'm doing. I have a problem with the industry. The industry is the industry. You know, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. Give to God what belongs to God. What I am talking about here is our hearts. I'm not addressing some, you know, uh, impersonal industry. We're not doing that. I'm talking about the hearts of us. Nashville, all right? So I think that God is actually giving us a message because we are a city that's been set up on a hill. And I do think there is a prophetic message that will come through our city that will help to lead and to guide the priest of our generation. I do believe that. I do believe that. And that's why I'm saying, like, I am humbly submitting this to you. Like, hey, I'm not qualified to say any of this stuff, but I'm saying it because I sense it and I have conviction about it. So if, if you don't like it, just tell the Lord that and then if he says you can flush it, flush it. And if he says you got to do something about it, then you do. And it's not on me anymore. So when our goal is to entertain people as a church, then all of the attention first goes to people. If our goal is entertainment, then attention of the congregation first goes to people. Rather than recognize God as our central focus, what entertainment does, not worship, not pure worship, but what entertainment does is it first recognizes people, places, and things. So instead of the attention being on God, the initial focus goes to the artist. It goes to the atmosphere. It goes to the experience. It goes to the cafe. Oh, it got quiet. Instead of it first going to God, it goes to people, places, and things. But priestly protocol requires that all attention in the room goes to God first. Now, we can involve humans at a later stage, but not first. Because when it comes to entering into pure worship, humans tend to almost always be a distraction. I don't know if you've noticed that or not. Therefore, the first job of the priest that is leading worship or leading the church or leading the prayer meeting or leading the home group meeting or leading the dinner party or leading the prayer around your dinner table as you are the priest of your home, the first job of the priest that is leading worship is to redirect attention. That's your first job, is to redirect attention from yourself to God. A quick way to spot the difference in priestly worship and artistic entertainment is to watch where the attention goes when the set starts. Because a priest will always point, but an entertainer will always absorb. And we've got to be priests that point. 
tension's locked. Nope, tension doesn't go here. Goes to God. Goes to God. Goes to the Spirit. Goes to the Father. Goes to the Son. Goes to Jesus. The central focus of heaven is Jesus. <laughs> the central focus, therefore, of the church must be must be Jesus. We got to be priests that point. Now, in the room right now, I can promise you there are some worship leaders that are going to be well-known. Watching this message by YouTube, I can promise you there are going to be some people, some preachers that are going to become well-known. So if you were to become a well-known worship leader, people are going to come and see you lead worship. If you become a well-known preacher, people are going to come and listen to you preach, and that is great. Why? Because people want to be a part of your ministry. And as a priest, you have a job to do, which is to minister to him and minister to them. Am I losing you? Uh, you guys are getting quiet because I, I, I mean, I feel it. It's like everybody's thinking. Your first job then as a priest, when you lead worship or when you preach or when you lead prayer in your own home, I'm not disqualifying anybody. Your first job is to redirect the attention of the congregation from you to God. An accusation that I often hear about worship leaders and about preachers is they just want to be seen. They want all the attention. To which I would respond, so do you. And so do I. Why is that? Because we all have an innate built-in desire to be seen. And God put that there, not Instagram culture. Do you want to be seen is a, that's a bad question. That's a terrible question to ask a created human being. Do you want to be seen? Well, we all want to be seen because God has designed all of us to be seen, to be recognized, to be honored, to be loved, to be identity, to be recognized. We are all supposed to know. I, 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 people care about me. God cares about me. It's okay to want to be seen. You cannot repent of your desire to be seen. It is hardwired into you by God. Do you want to be seen is a bad question. A better question is, who do you want to be seen by and why? If you're an anointed, effective priest, I can promise you this, you will receive attention from people. But the most important question of today is, will you redirect their attention? There's nothing wrong with getting attention. The question I have for you though, will you redirect the attention? So I want to be clear, I'm not anti-fame, I'm not anti-influence, I'm not anti-fame for worship leaders or for any type of person in ministry because it's natural and normal for some priests to become well-known for stewarding their ministry rightly. My concern is that we could be possibly platforming entertainers that absorb attention that solely belongs to God rather than receiving scripturally qualified priests and prophets that point all the attention of the congregation to the only one whom it truly belongs, which is God, the King of glory. That's it. So, you know, we've had a couple of years now of school of ministry, and I've fielded a few questions from young people, both here and elsewhere, uh, that have came up to me and said, Pastor Lyle, What's up? 
I've just always known since I was a kid. I'm called to be famous. And, you know, I didn't really know how to respond to that initially because what I wanted to say, like, me too. So what do we do? <laughs> you know, they're coming to me for counsel, and I'm like, you got any wisdom? <laughs> I felt that too. There's something in there called the greatness. Uh, you know, I've, I feel like I've come to a new place of being able to field that question, and you know what I would say to somebody who says, I feel called to be famous? I would say, uh, yeah, it could be true. Could be true because God made some of his followers famous in the Bible. If you read the story of Abraham, God clearly and plainly tells Abraham, especially in the NLT, he says, I will make you famous. Literally, those are the words. I will make your name great. Now, I have studied the scripture on this topic and I've not found an instance, not yet, of anybody becoming famous as a result of them telling God that they wanted to be famous. I haven't found it yet. What I've found is people pursuing God and allowing God to determine their metron of influence. You with me? So I think if we're to turn around some of our current cultural problems in the church in America and in Nashville, we're going to have to care less about being famous and care more about being fruitful. Because I'm not sure that fame is a fruit. But in our current cultural stream, our prophetic stream, we see fame as a fruit of the Spirit, and it's not on the tree. Well, here's how we know who God's anointed. They're famous. I mean, maybe you got one, but I haven't found the Scripture for that yet. I haven't found it yet. And I really think that the enemy is having a heyday with this misunderstanding. I really do. I really do. Because we have young people who are disqualifying themselves from the priesthood because they don't have more than 10,000 followers on TikTok. Whenever God never says that this right here is a byproduct that you may use as evidence of who my spirit is on. When you see the Holy Spirit falling on people in scripture, it's rare that they become well-known. Initially, they go to the wilderness. <laughs> they become not well-known, but unknown. Where are they at? Well, I don't know. <laughs> Somewhere. And this is really important. This is really, really important. Remember, I am not talking, I'm not trying to talk poorly about industry. I'm trying to get us to examine our hearts. 
So the question that I've been asking young people more recently as they've said that, and the, and the reason I'm asking the question is because I felt that the Holy Spirit asked me the question, which is this. So when you get famous, when you get famous and you get all of this attention, how much of that attention will you be willing to redirect to God? Because an honest answer to that question will reveal how much of your desire to be a famous Christian is sanctified. Did you get that? So when you get famous, how much of that attention will you give to God? Because an honest answer to that question will reveal how much of your desire to be a famous Christian is sanctified. You know, a a hidden desire to hold anything back from God, all the while simultaneously stating, it's all for Jesus, is the spirit that took Ananias and Sapphira out. It's weird that this is the closer, but some of us are so hungry for fame that we would have it. But God in his kindness prevents it because he knows if we had it, we'd keep some of it for ourselves and bury it under our tents, thereby setting ourselves up to receive judgment. (laughs) Well, I got through the first point. Acts chapter 3. First miracle of the early church. You have uh, the apostle Peter. And John, they're going to church. They're going to church. They're going to temple. We just did a six-month sermon series on this, right? So early church, early Christianity was way more Jewish than we are today, right? So they're going to temple. They're going to attend temple. And as they're walking into temple, they see this guy there, and he's a lame man, and he's been that way for a very long time, and he is sitting next to a gate that is referred to as beautiful. Now, a lot of people knew about this guy because he had been there for so long, and whenever Peter and John recognized him, he, of course, was hoping that he would get some money from them. But Peter says something that I find very interesting, and he says this, look at us. You ever notice that? Like Peter seeks man's attention. Peter sought the attention of the man. Why? Peter sought his attention so that he could serve him. Not so that the man could serve him and his ministry. And this is what I talked about at Team Church earlier this month. Whenever God diversified the spirit that was upon Moses to the other leaders of the church in the wilderness, if you will, he said, I'm putting the spirit on you that is upon Moses. And when we get that word, we're like, woo, yeah, spirit, yeah, pour it out on me. I want the impartation. I mean, I used to travel with Heidi everywhere and people would be like, impartation, impartation, impartation. I'm like, what are you asking for? Are you sure? Impartation. Because what I heard a lot of people asking for was, uh, give me your platform. But when you're asking for impartation, you're saying, uh, give me your process. 
And, and so God said, I'm going to take some of the spirit that's on you. I'm going to put it on the leaders. And here's why. Here's the purpose of the anointing so that they too can begin to bear the burden of the people. <laughs> but we hate that part. No, no, no. I want the spirit so that I can be seen. I don't care nothing about people. I don't want to carry no burdens for people. So instead, we've created this church culture where we don't care so much about people. We don't care about the burden of the people. What we care about is building a platform in the name of the Spirit and then asking the people to carry the burden of our ambition. So instead of church being a place where pastors wash dirty feet, it's become a stage where pastors go to do their calling. And we got to repent of this and we got to say, clean my hands, Pure my, purify my heart. And you know what's crazy about Acts chapter three is that right after Peter says to the guy, look at me, <laughs> little Ron Burgundy. Look at me, right? A few verses later, just scroll one time. You'll see that this crowd forms around Peter and they start looking at Peter. Peter starts getting all the attention. I mean, his following jumps up quick. He goes viral. And then what does Peter say? Why do you look at us? That's what he says. He told the guy, look at me. And then when he got all this attention, he said, why are you looking at me? Because it ain't me. It ain't my power. It ain't my strength. It ain't my charisma. It ain't my giftedness. This is all the grace of God that has healed the man. And I do believe God is raising up influencers. And I do believe in anointed celebrities. But the type of people that God is raising up, the priests that will be among this generation, they might get attention from people, but their motivation will be to serve people. And when they get the attention, they will not hoard it, but they'll redirect it. And they'll say, this is all Jesus. This is all God. This is all my Father. This is all His grace. This is all His strength. So that's point one of priestly protocol. You guys stand to your feet. My wife said, uh, oh, you should do this, a sermon series on priestly protocol. I already got another sermon series. <laughs> so we'll see. I don't know. If you don't mind, just hold your hands out in front of you. Um, I, I realized that for, I don't know, maybe for a few people in the room, this message was hard. I don't know. I, I don't know who you are. I don't know who that would be. But if it was... Um, I just want to encourage you to ask God, God, was that from you? And, you know, if you feel like the Lord's like, yeah, it was. Then I want you to ask him a follow-up question. Just say, what am I to do with it? How am I to respond? And I want you to make a decision right now in your heart. I will do the thing that the Spirit is leading me to do. And I'm not going to wait until next month. I'm not going to wait until next week. I'm going to put it in motion today. So when I walk out of this room, even before I turn on the Titans game, I am going to make a decision to put that plan in motion. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Could we just thank the Lord Jesus for clean hands and a pure heart? Only He could do that. Only you could do that, Lord. The Legacy Nashville podcast. If you'd like to support the ministry, you can do so at legacynashville.org forward slash 
get. If you're listening on iTunes, log into the store and give us a good rating and review. This helps our podcast reach new people with the good news of Jesus Christ. Until next week, love God, love people, and go change the world.